The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for a look at the markets and the stocks in the news. My guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison. Welcome, Ben, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's great to be here, Lauren, and great to have you back. Oh, thank you, thank you. So today we will begin with a look at the possible financial fallout of renewed hostilities in the Middle East. It's a risk-off market after the deadly weekend attack on Israel. The U.S. stock market is down, led by the NASDAQ, although it's rebounded from the morning lows. Oil was up about 4% last I looked to $86 a barrel. Gold was up about 13%, rather, maybe up more than now. And perhaps it's good news that the bond market is closed today, right, Ben? Well, kind of closed. Kind of. Um, ETFs are trading and the futures, futures are trading. There, there, there's always a way to trade U.S. bonds uh, if, if you want to. All right, let's talk about the financial impact of what we've seen so far in the Middle East. You've been doing a lot of thinking and research about what the war might mean for markets. And I'm really curious what your view is so far. Well, what's interesting to me is just looking at uh, at, at the numbers immediately uh, just today is that uh, the reaction is kind of muted, um, or at least more muted than I would expect. The Dow at this point is basically flat. It's down 11 points, so it's 0.03%. Um, S&P's down 0.1%, and the NASDAQ's down 0.5%. Um, so it's not, a, not, not big losses there. And even the moves that we're seeing in oil and gold, Oil has jumped, it's up 4%, but it's at 86.28 for WTI. So still didn't get back to 90, which is really the area that says strength in oil. And gold is up 1.2%. So it's not a huge move there either. Um, and so I think the, the, the market reaction, if you have to come up with a term for it right now, is something along the lines of cautious. Um, it's not ready to make any big moves up or down based on what happened over the weekend. I feel like the market is holding its breath, waiting to see how things develop. And I wonder if the market has behaved like this in periods of previous hostility, the beginning of the Ukraine war, for instance. Yeah, I think the beginning of the Ukraine war, there was more of a reaction just because I think the uh, the outcome was uh, more, uh, it was more certain that he knew that there were going to be steps taken against Russian oil, that uh, Europe would have to uh, take steps to start diversifying away from Russian oil. And so just the the, there is just, I think, clearer was to be happening. It had been building to that moment for a very long time. Well, here, this really did come out of nowhere. Um, and it came against a backdrop of, you know, there was uh, these talks going on between the, the Saudis and the Israelis about perhaps normalizing relations. Um, and so this shook that up a lot. And I think the uncertainty here is now much greater than it was, I mean, right after the uh, the Ukraine, um, when, when Russia invaded Ukraine, where I think you could pretty much draw a, a fairly straight line to what the outcomes are going to be there. Well, it's a fairly quiet day in the market, but how do you see things unfolding? Market well, 
it was it was interesting because I was reading about uh, uh, from the firm uh, Gavacal, and uh, they they point out that there are really three scenarios that could come out of this. The first is that um, the that Israel Gaza they they uh, they, they crush Hamas uh, is their term for it, um, and that there isn't any escalation that Hezbollah and Iran all stay out, um, and uh, you know that they, they put it as even if the death human toll is horrendous. Um, in this scenario, the financial markets quickly forget about the event. That's their quote. Um, and, you know, in terms of mar the market outcome, that's probably the best case scenario. The second uh, scenario that they put out there is that the West ramps up sanctions against Iran. Um, the U.S. pressures Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to pump more oil. They do. In this situation, it's not great for the energy market. The energy prices are volatile is uh, how they describe it. Um, and for bonds and stocks, it's not good. They remain under pressure. But the worst case scenario is that um, the U.S. ramps up sanctions against Iran um, and uh, Saudi Arabia refuses to crank up oil production. You have the 1973 scenario. Um, that's where oil prices spike, bonds and stocks plunge, it becomes an inflation issue. And really the only thing that you want to own at that point is energy, precious metals. And Gavacol also says uh, the assets of non-belligerent commodity producers such as Brazil, Chile, Colombia, or Indonesia. Well, it's been a very long time since all you wanted to own was energy, precious metals in those countries. So, yeah, it's been a very long time. Right, right. So I think it's early days worth keeping these scenarios in mind, but don't take them to the bank book yet. We'll have to see what unfolds. I want to drill down and take a closer look at the energy market where a lot of these market impacts will play out. Frankly, I was surprised that the rally is somewhat tame and that prices didn't top 90 a barrel. Why do you think that is and how should investors be thinking about the oil market? Well, I think right now, um, it, it, the oil market is is going to be the focus of, of everything, and you do get this bounce, but it's not back even close to the highs. Um, I think the oil touched around that this is WTI crude, not Brent, but WTI touched ninety five on um, towards the end of September. Um, today it jumped to eighty six. It's been pulling back on concerns about rising rates and about uh, economic slowdowns and things like that. Um, and now it's bounced up a bit, but I think this is kind of like, okay, this is the beginning of a reaction. The market doesn't know what's going to happen. The futures curve, I was talking to Avi Salzman, he's uh, our oil reporter. He was saying that the futures curve remains, um, uh, the, the future prices remain lower than the current prices, which is a sign that the market hasn't yet priced in um, higher oil prices coming out of this for the long term. Um, and that's where I think you, you watch the oil market to see how the, how the rest of the market is trying to figure out what's going on. Um, if oil prices continue to rise, then it's saying that there is going to be a bigger problem, um, maybe a wider conflict. Um, one of the interesting things is that for a long time, oil was not a place that you wanted to be in the market. You didn't want to own energy stocks and you didn't want to have exposure to oil. Um, and there are a lot of people who are coming out and saying, you know what? Oil is kind of your hedge asset these days. In the, in the world that we live in now, with higher inflation, which more with more geopolitical uncertainty, having exposure to oil, not treasuries, is the thing that offsets those declines in the market. Um, you know, when something bad happens, it's oil that's jumping up. Um, 
and it's an interesting argument uh, to be making. It's one that you know we didn't you didn't worry about it uh, you know even three years ago. Um, was it during the uh, the height of the pandemic? Oil went to zero, um, but now it really is. Uh, it does seem like it's the place that you want to have at least some exposure as a hedge to all this uncertainty out there. It's an interesting idea. Oil was such a poor performer for so long, and then, so then long. best performer yeah. for a while. And very interesting idea. I want to talk about the stock market also. At Barron's, we've been expecting that the end of September would bring an end to the broad market losses we've seen as summer closed. We were looking forward to an October rally and maybe a rally into the end of the year. What does the latest news do to that October rally scenario? Well, I think it calls it uh, into question at least a little bit. Um, I, I wouldn't have, after Friday's move, and we can talk about this again in, in a minute, it did feel like that third, that fourth quarter rally was coming. You know, the, the stock market, all seasonality pointed to a stronger end of the year, um, both just because of how strong the year started, uh, because it's the year before presidential election, which almost always is strong. You expect a weak September. Um, and then a rally into the end of the year. All these things were, you know, really felt like they were going to happen. And then you get uh, uh, these attacks over the weekend, the, the um, you know, the outbreak of war in the Middle East again. And, you know, I suspect we probably would have been up with it. Um, and now, again, it, it creates this uncertainty that the market is going to have to work through uh, to be able to get that uh, fourth quarter um, rally. I still think that that has to be the base case uh, for now um until proven otherwise uh, it's just been that kind of year um and we'll talk about some of the other factors that uh, make me at least uh, you know semi bullish on the stock market for the rest of uh, 2023 um but I love uh, that, by the way that i'm semi bullish <laughs> yeah that's a contrary <laughs> for you and everyone yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm such a nervous Nelly, but uh, you know, it's, uh, it just, it's, close it's, you, it's as close as you get to bullish. It, it really is. Um, but it, I, I think you have to have that as, as the base case uh, for now. So with today's news focused on the war, I want to go back for a minute to Friday. You mentioned Friday. We had a real stunner on Friday in the jobs report, 336,000 positions added in September. That was far above expectations. On the other hand, the growth in wages actually cooled from recent trends, and that's partly why the market was celebrating by rallying on Friday. What do you think the Friday report means for the Fed's inflation fight? Well, it, there, there's no doubt that, that headline number was just uh, incredible. Um, and the market's first reaction to it was exactly what you would have thought it would be, that stocks went down, bond yields went up, bond prices went down. Um, but then it reversed. And the market had its best day in a very long time. Well, the um, stunning reversal, really surprising day. It, it was incredible. And I think part of it had to do with the numbers themselves. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot and I've talked a lot about the problems with ADP, that ADP comes out and it's always completely different than um, the- uh, You should remind us what ADP uh, The ADP is a, a company that does private payroll reports and they put out an, a, a, their own payrolls reports for private payrolls uh, on the Wednesday before the report. And for a long time, it was supposed to kind of try to predict what the actual payrolls would be. They gave up on that and they said, they just started saying, this is what our number is. Um, you know, we see this many jobs created. 
And it still doesn't line up with the, the official number. And it's actually oftentimes when the ADP report is strong, the official one is weak and vice versa. And that's what actually happened this past week is that the ADP report came in someplace in the 80,000s. And then you get this blowout, 336,000 uh, jobs uh, from the official payrolls report. But you also have to remember that the uh, U.S. puts out two payrolls numbers. They have what's called the establishment report, which is that 336,000 number. But then they have a household survey, which is going from household to household. They ask people about their job situation. That would show it a much smaller increase, more in line with ADP. And it actually had some people questioning whether there was a seasonal uh, adjustment factor in the payrolls report that exaggerated it to the upside. So maybe it wasn't as strong thought. And the other side of it, as you point out, was the wage growth. The wage growth isn't there. And so if it's an inflation issue that the Fed is worried about and wage growth isn't, um, it, it isn't going up the way that we feared, then maybe uh, things are better off. So you had a little bit of an uptick um, in Fed expectations um, of, a, of a rate hike in November and December, but not, um, or, or December, but not that much. And then a lot of that has pulled off today because of uh, what's happening in the Middle East. But I, I think what the, the report ended up showing was one of these cases where the market had dropped so much heading into the report that it really, and bond yields had gone up so much that it felt like capitulation at that point, that you got that number is like, holy cow, people sold bonds, they sold stocks, and then everyone said, wait a minute, and things started to come back. Well, the past two reports were revised downward, but then they were revised upward. Oh, so yeah. it's very hard to know exactly what the picture is, but the wage information was a tell here. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty big deal because that's really still what the Fed is focused on. It's inflation. And this inflation um, we saw from the PCE inflation number, that was weaker than expected. The wage growth in the payrolls number, that was weaker than expected. And so that's uh, I think that's all good news for the Fed and ultimately for the market. I would say the Fed is looking pretty good here, except for everything else that keeps messing up its its plans, like like the rise in oil prices and oil inflation. But let's move on. Well, to and the fact that it got it wrong in the first place. Well, let's not forget that because no one else has forgotten that, although they'd like to. So let's move on to earnings. I almost forgot that third quarter earnings season begins this week. There's so much else going on. I thought we'd take a look at broader trends in earnings, and then we can take a closer look at some of the companies reporting during. So what is earnings season expected to hold overall? Well, for the first time in a while, we're actually going to supposed to get a small increase in year-over-year -year earnings. Um, it's supposed to be up 0.5%. Um, and that can be taken as a bad thing, at least according to some analysts. Uh, some, some strategists point out that, well, you know what? Analysts are usually cutting their earnings forecasts heading into earnings season. And they haven't been doing that this time around. Earnings forecasts have basically stayed flat over the past three months. So that's kind of sets a higher bar. Um, and you also have to just uh, worry that maybe, that, you know, so maybe they're just over uh, optimistic heading into, into earnings season. But Deutsche Bank thinks that actually the setup is better than it looks. They point out that the earnings are um, up mainly because the revisions have been flat, mainly because of mega cap tech where earnings have been going up and energy stocks, which have benefited from higher uh, oil prices. If you take those groups out, earnings revisions have been, the earnings have been revised down 3%, basically what it normally would be. They also point out that the weakness in the stock market over the past two months has helped lower the bar and that a lot of the bad news might be priced in. 
And so they're feeling pretty good. They actually say that that backdrop suggests, quote, a fertile ground for an above average rally. Um, and so, heck, why not? It would be nice to see a, a rally after this past two months, you know, August, September being so tough, the beginning of October being tough, um, having a nice rally coming out of earnings and having the company specifics to focus on is also helpful. You often see the market more focused on the macro situation heading into earnings season, but then earnings season, you put the focus back on stocks. And so it'll be up to the individual companies then to help push the market higher. No wonder you're halfway bullish or whatever you said. <laughs> Semi-bullish. Semi-bullish. <laughs> Semi-bullish. Okay. So we'll start with Pepsi. PepsiCo took a dive on Friday on, or, or at some point last week on news that a Walmart executive said customers on weight loss drugs are buying fewer groceries. That would be bad news for soft drink companies and packaged food stocks. The company reports on Tuesday. It's had an okay year. What's the outlook here? looks pretty good for their earnings. Uh, they're growing. They're going to report earnings of uh, $2.15. At least that's what analysts think they will. Now be up from $1.97 a, a year ago. Um, as you pointed out, the, the fears about the weight loss drugs, about Ozempic and, and whatnot, have really hit food companies, snack stocks, soda companies very hard. Pepsi has actually gotten hit harder than Coke because it's not only soda, but it's uh, Frito-Lay. It has all these uh, snack foods, and that has hurt it. But it's also been hurt because... You know, you buy defensive stocks like the staples because you're worried about economic growth. And we had that last year, but this year the recession fear has been pulling off and that's made these stocks less attractive. And you also buy them for their dividends, but with the yield so high, the dividend isn't so attractive anymore. And so this is just like kind of a triple whammy hitting Pepsi right now. The good news is that earnings are supposed to be solid and we'll get a chance to see how well snack food sales are holding up, how well Pepsi sales are, are holding up. And if the numbers are expected, and our Jacob Sonnenschein thinks that they could could be, then you could get a, uh, you should get a bounce in this stock because it's been beaten up so much. It's down 12% in just the past three months and 11% for the year. Um, and that's a pretty decent setup um, if it can go ahead and beat earnings and sort of allay some of these concerns around the impact that weight loss drugs are going to have on the company. It's been a bad year for dividend stocks in general. Oh, it's been terrible. So moving on, Delta Airlines reports on Thursday. The airline stocks are down sharply today, presumably because of the rise in oil. Delta's down about 4%. What's the outlook for Delta when it reports its quarterly results? It's it's tough to be an airline right now. I mean, the oh, earnings yes. are great. Uh, the earnings are supposed to be a dollar ninety six um, a share, and uh, that would be up from a dollar fifty one. Um, the stock, though, uh, it, it's up thirteen percent this year, but it's dropped twenty three percent over the past three months, and a lot has to do with higher oil prices. Um, Delta already came out in September, offered guidance. Uh, they lowered their guidance uh, for those higher prices of oil. But there's also concerns here that people will be traveling less. You saw some softness in pricing uh, for airlines in September over Labor Day weekend. A lot of the travel that you know people had to do coming out of um, out of the lockdowns, there's that boom in travel. You, people had to just go do things. Um, they've been you know they've been locked down for so long. But a lot of that has now faded, and with pr ticket prices expensive and everything else expensive. There's concerns that there's going to be a slowdown in um, in, in uh, ticket sales, and so 
there, I think, is going to, you know, people are going to be watching to see both uh, what they say about oil, what they say about demand. And also, um, there's this unpredictability that comes from the uh, from what's happening in the Middle East, where it doesn't really affect travel at all. The exposure to Middle East is not, is not very high. But I think there's fear that when you have an attack like this, people just decide, you know what, I, I don't want to go travel. I'm going to stay home. Um, and I think that wears off, but that's the fear that's in the market. The market always is going to um, price in the impact of something that it thinks could be a problem. And then it, it's easier to, to price it in, knock the stocks down, and then price it out than it is just to say, you know what, we're not going to worry about this at all. And so I think that's what's happening with, uh, with Delta here. And so it could make for a, a tricky setup in earnings, despite the fact that it's fallen down so much. Normally, I look at a stock like Delta, and I, it, that's fallen this much heading into your port, and I think it has to bounce. Um, and the one thing it does have going for it, if you look at the chart, even if to, with today's loss, it dropped right to the previous lows. So if you're looking at a chart, um, you'll see that this was the low um, that it hit um, on October 3rd. It was also a lows back in uh, June-ish and May. And so perhaps it's able to hold these levels and bounce off. All right, let's talk about banks for a moment. The bank stocks, um, well, they've had an okay year. The banks kick off earnings in a big way, reporting later in the week. JP Morgan reports Friday, so does Citigroup. What's the outlook in general for the banks? And then we'll take a quick look at JP Morgan and Citigroup. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the banks have been kind of uh, kind of a mess um, because of those, um, you know, the uh, the problems that you had at Silicon Valley Bank and the others um, earlier this year. Um, so if you look at uh, KBE, uh, which is the bank ETF, um, it, it's down about 20 percent this year. Um, and it's a lot of it is about the fears over asset sales. What's it's been interesting is that, you know, the, the Fed and other regulators really worked hard to make sure that banks wouldn't have any credit problems um, that caused the uh, financial crisis of uh, 2008-2009. Um, what they didn't look at would be the impact of rapidly rising rates on the um, uh, on the uh, on the capital holdings, on the treasury holdings, the bond holdings that banks have, and those have been pretty you know hard hit, and that's raised lots of concerns um, about uh, this, this their strength going forward, as well as just higher rates causing money to come out of checking accounts. Um, what's interesting um, is that uh, you know so if you look at that and the setup, it doesn't look great, but again. Banks have been hit hard um, because of these, because of rising treasury rates and and other factors. And so you have some people that are feeling pretty optimistic about the sector generally. Um, UBS, for instance, think noted that the uh, um, that there's a lot of short interest. It's higher than it was. Short interest in banks is higher than it was in March 23, um, and they they suspect that it's probably the sentiment is too bearish and that you could get a pretty volatile short squeeze during earnings season. And that would be pretty interesting to see. And I could I could see the argument. The setup does look pretty good for that, just because there are a lot of shorts and the sector hasn't done very well. Um, and now it'll be up to earnings to either show that that uh, thesis could play out or, you know what, maybe not. 
be interesting to see. So let's talk quickly about J.P. Morgan and City, and then we'll get to some listener questions. Yeah, um, J.P. Morgan is fascinating to me because it's the only real, maybe find a couple smaller ones, but of the big banks, it's the only one that doesn't get traded like a bank. Um, it's, you know, it's actually up this year, um, which is fascinating to me. Um, every bank is pretty much down. But uh, J.P. Morgan is up eight. Well, it's the rescuer of all other banks. It, it is, and it's just it has this. Uh, there's this notion that it is safer than everybody else. That it is better run than everybody else. Um, and you know, it, there's a fairly good chance that uh, the uh, that it's going to report pretty decent earnings as well. Um, UBS actually thinks that even though the stock has outperformed materially, they don't see cracks in that momentum. Um, they do think that J.P. Morgan's uh, earnings call is going to be a pretty downbeat affair um, just because of the move in the rates, the, the backdrop and the uncertainty, the economic backdrop. Um, and there's also the regulatory fights going on with Basel III, which I would let our bank reporters explain because it's way over my head. Um, so UBS thinks that J.P. Morgan's going to have a pretty downbeat tone on the call. They call it tempered and cautious. Um, but they think the earnings power will be there. And uh, I, I think they're probably right. And it'll be, the question I think is going to be, with the stock holding up so well, is that going to be enough for people that hold it on the day of earnings? So everyone has been waiting, waiting, waiting for a turnaround at City. What will we learn about that? <laughs> well, I think people need to see that the changes that are being made are actually going to lead to an improvement in profitability. And until that happens, um, that, that the stock is going to have a really hard time outperforming. It, it hasn't done, you know, well, it has done terribly. I was going to say it hasn't done that terribly. No, it's done badly. It's down 11% in the past three months, down 10% this year. Earnings are expected to fall to $1.24 from $1.50. I think that's largely because they keep selling parts of their business. Um, and really, it is all about this restructuring. Um, and they have to show that they can um, grow their earnings again. Um, UBS actually does think that uh, earnings will be 8% above consensus and that they can um, they can get more profitable. And until they show that that evidence, the stock, I mean, it's super cheap. It's, you know, if you're a value investor, you're probably thinking, oh, this is the greatest thing to, greatest thing to own, but it hasn't been um, a great stock for a long time and it remains one of the cheapest. And until it can show that it can grow, and it can actually get a better return on equity, I think it's going to be a tough stock. Um, maybe this is the quarter. It's been a value trap for a while. That it has. All right, let's go to some listener questions, and then I've got a million more. We'll see what we have time for. We have a question from Robob wants to know, um, conflict in the Middle East, what is the intermediate term impact on the market? Is it too soon to say? I, I do think it's too uh, soon to say. I mean, I... I I just I can't, I can't predict. I don't think anyone could predict where the conflict is is going to go. Um, it, it's so unpredictable. Um, I think people got too confident that there was going to be a deal of some sort between the Saudi Arabia and and Israel. And uh, as the the violence over the weekend shows, you know, it can erupt at, at any moment. Um, it's just really hard to say. Again, I think it's probably long term bullish for for oil, worth having some oil in the portfolio, uh, just as a hedge against all those risks. But I think it's really hard to predict. 
All right, we have a question from Sari. Will the war affect U.S. Treasury rates? Um, I, I think, again, it's it's hard to know. What is fascinating to me is that it, it that this happened um, at a point where I would have expected Treasury rates to, to rise or, or tr to come down, Treasury prices to rise, Treasury yields to come down anyway. The move had been so extreme in the 10-year uh, yield that you almost and, and they uh, they the treasuries were so oversold that I think you were going to get a bounce one way or, or the other. Um, and it's always strange how markets work is that um, you, you don't know what that one way or the other is. And then something happens and it's like, oh, there you go. Um, and, and so I, I mean, I think it, it, the longer potential is on, the more of a bid there is for treasuries when people are, um, you know, concerned about the world. Treasuries are things that they buy. And so that would um, help the treasury market, which obviously has been under a ton of pressure. It was uh, down. I always look at TLT, which is the, God, I can't remember the name of it. It's what I call the long bond ETF. It's the iShares 20 plus year treasury bond ETF. Um, and I, I look at that to see how you're doing if you're in long treasuries. And it's been a miserable three years. You lost 4.6% in 2021, 31% in 22. And through Friday, you've lost 13%. And so the three-year return is you're down 17% uh, annual a, a year over three years, which is incredible for an asset that's supposed to be safe. Um, and so you, you hope that something can get uh, the long bond turning uh, turning around, but it just hasn't been a safe place to invest recently. It seemed like a very old oversold rally to me as yeah. well. All right, let's um, let's look at a question on the oil market. Amy asks, in light of the news about Exxon wanting to buy Pioneer Natural Resources and the current war situation in Israel, would it be wise to sell Pioneer and other oil stocks like Web? And I think you're making the opposite case. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Pioneer is going to be an interesting one because Pioneer, if the deal goes through, you're going to get your um, shares uh, are going to become Exxon shares. And so I, I think it depends, you know, why were you in um, uh, why were you in Pioneer and um, is there, uh, you know, and, and, and do, is there a better stock to be in for that reason? Or are you happy being in um, in Exxon? I think that's the, the big question there. Um, and for the other oil stocks, I think it just depends. Um, your your view is like, how do you want to get uh, exposure uh, to the energy market, to the oil market, uh, oil and natural gas um, and whatnot? And uh, you could do it through individual stocks or you could just do it with an ETF like the XLE, which is the, uh, um, that's the, the uh, sorry, the energy select sector spider ETF. That's the broadest ETF. In this That's sector. the broadest one there is. And that might be one. It's up 2.8% today. Um, it, it's kind of done the opposite of, um, of uh, what you call it, of, of the treasury. Uh, it's been, it was up 53% in 2021, 64% last year. This year, it's basically flat. It's up 0.6%, probably a little more after today's move. That would be a fun chart to uh, kind of sketch out. Oh, it's an incredible chart. The pressure um, move versus the XLE. Yeah. Well, what's what's frightening is just how badly XLE has done over the last 10 years. It's up 4.2% um, over the last 10 years. Um, 
which uh, compared to how the overall stock market has done, is not very good. Um, the the S&P, the um, uh, SPY, the, the uh, Spider S&P 500 ETF um, has gained uh, 12% over the same period. So, uh, you know, two and a half times. As you know what they say, Ben, past performance is not indicative of future returns. That is absolutely true. Let's remember that. All right, we have a question from M. Kirsch. Your thoughts on Bank of America, which I believe is also a reporting race. Yeah, they'll report uh, next week. I think it's on Tuesday or Wednesday. I uh, don't have that in front of me. Um, Bank of America has been interesting because uh, it was one where it kind of entered the banking mini crisis in March, kind of seen as really JP Morgan's main peer competitor. Um, but I think the it's the handling of its uh, securities portfolio has really dinged the company. Um, it's uh, it's dropped quite a bit um, compared to JP Morgan going up. And I, I think the one thing, and again, this UBS had this opinion that there's a lot of short interest in Bank of America. The sentiment there is very bad. And so if the company could come out and have some good numbers, you could get a nice bounce there. But Andrew Barry is, uh, you know, one of our star reporters at, at Barron's. I'm sure everybody on this call knows that name. Um, we do. Um, you know, and Andrew has been, you know, just he's been bearish on Bank of America just because of the securities portfolio. That is the losses that it has on its treasury holdings is, is enormous. Um, it was a little bit. It was too long in its duration. And that's really impacted the, the company's stock. And um, it's created worries for investors. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see what what do they say in terms of their earnings? What do they say in terms of those bond holdings? Um, and, and can they be positive enough to actually get the stock to bounce? We'll be watching that. We may comment on it next week in more detail. We had a question from Francois on a completely different subject. Is electric car, are electric car stocks still a good place to invest? And if so, which would you recommend? Hard to, uh, hard to, hard to say. Yeah, uh, it, it's, I mean, electric cars are, I believe, still the future. Um, but it, everybody, Wall Street in particular, the market loves to seize on narratives and take them too far. And I think that's what's happened with the EV argument is that EVs will be the future, but that doesn't mean next week. It doesn't mean next year. It could mean five years, 10 years, 15 years down the line. Um, and I think there was a moment there where everyone was like, ah, oh, EVs are the future, and that means tomorrow. And everybody's found out that, you know what, that's not quite the case. Uh, Ford and GM, they're having some growing pains getting this started, um, not to mention all the strikes going on. Um, and you're seeing someone like uh, a stock like Toyota has done very well um, compared to other automakers. Um, and they have more of a hybrid, uh, they're, they're targeting hybrids, so cars that are EVs, uh, combustion engine. Um, and I think that that was being called into question as a strategy, but probably is doing well right now because people who are uncomfortable about, their, you know, have range anxiety, but still want to start heading in the EV direction, well, you get the most, best of both worlds um, with the hybrid. And so that stock has done quite well. Um, I still, I, I think it is the, uh, uh, the future, but it's just, you have to watch how it's going to play out. Tesla, um, so I think it was Nick Colas over at Datatrek made this point. It's like, why is Tesla so much more valuable than everybody else, every other U.S. automaker? It's 
It's because when you look at the U.S. auto industry, there's only one company you know is going to still be there in 20 years uh, making EVs after this is all said and done, and that's going to be Tesla. Um, and so they get a premium because of that. And if you look at their stock, you know, it had that big run off the bottom this year. It's been going a bit sideways since with the usual Tesla volatility. But, uh, you know, if you can handle the nosebleed valuation, you can handle that volatility. Tesla's probably want to consider buying on dips, or at least I think that's what Al Root would say. And I'm trying to channel Al here. So I will get at that. Right. Al, Al has been a great reporter on Tesla following all the ins and outs of the company and the stock. So let's circle back for a minute then to the big economic news of the week, and that will be the CPI report, the Consumer Price Index. It's the last big inflation reading, I think, that the Fed will get. And maybe maybe PCE comes out too, but it's a very big inflation reading that the Fed will get before its next meeting, its next policy meeting. What are the expectations for CPI? The Fed really wants CPI to come down. Yep. It's doing a pretty good job, but not there yet. Yeah, well, I'm going to not talk about uh, headline CPI because it's not really what the Fed is watching. That's supposed they to watch core. They watch core. Core is supposed to be 0.3%. That would be in line with uh, the previous month at 0.3%. Goldman Sachs is actually estimating that it drops to 0.2%. And that would be kind of in line with what we're seeing from other um, inflation readings. We said the jobs number had wage increases of just 0.2%, which is below expectations. The last PCE reading uh, was also um, uh, was was also lower than um, expected. And it fed into this idea that, you know what, the Fed really might have inflation at least more under control. The number that I keep seeing thrown out is that if you look at core PCE over the last annual, take the last three months change and annualize that, you get 2.2%, which means that it's fairly, at this current rate, it's fairly close to the Fed's target. It just needs to stay there for a while. Um, and that's going to be the question. Can inflation stay down or is it going to pop again? And they don't want to repeat the, the battles in the past where, you know, it looked like inflation was beaten, the ease back, boom, right back uh, up again. Um, so the Fed is going to be careful, but this is another one of those numbers where we're going to get an opportunity to see evidence that it is keeping inflation down. And we're going to keep a watch on that. I've been asking why, if we're so close to the target, that we're not popping the champagne just yet. It's exactly as you say, it's not enough to get there. You have to stay there. Yeah. All right. We'll leave it at that. Thanks so much, Ben, for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you, Lauren. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in tomorrow on Barron's Live, Market Watch reporter Joy Wiltermuth will talk with Sheila Baer, former FDIC chair, about the lessons of the easy money era, which looks to be over now. Please tune in for that. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.